spilling my notes everywhere, which is fun. Um, guys, we have a lot. Uh, no, 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 that's for you. Oh, for me? Yeah, because you always ask me for one. And so that's for you so you can take notes. That's awesome. Um, I want to encourage you guys to take notes. That's a good segue. Because, um, guys, what we're going to cover tonight, tonight is... Um, it's technically, I guess you could call it a Bible study. Um, but it's not your typical sermon. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, um, it, it's going to be a lot more like you're sitting in the classroom uh, of Bible school, uh, which I think is really, really cool. Um, and I think we're going to learn a lot tonight. Uh, obviously, we're going to be in the book of John because this is our sermon series. I saw the light, the gospel according to John. We're in week 17, um, and the title of the message for tonight is He Who Believes, and we're going to be, actually that's from last week, so we don't even have to put that up there, Bo. Um, But we're in John chapter 6, and last week we were in chapter 6, verses 1 through 40, and now we're going to be in verses uh, 41 through about 59. Uh, so you can't really read the title up there, but it's He Who Believes. Um, and last week we talked about a familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and uh, some bread from heaven, and we had eight points. It was, a, it was an eight-point sermon all put together, and we hit all the points, and they all flowed together. How many of you guys learned something last week? Good, 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 good. About half of you raised your hands, and the other half were probably like, I don't want to raise my hand. Or you just weren't here. There we go. Um, so we're going to pick up, and we're going to just read. Uh, we're going to power read. Because <coughs> I just know after worshiping, I'm probably going to lose my voice. Um, because some of you guys were singing loud, so I started singing loud, and it just, it was awesome. I love worshiping like that, so I want to encourage <coughs> you guys to do that more often. Um it's, it's good. Y'all actually have pretty good voices. I like to hear them. Um, this is what it says. Pull out your Bibles. I actually want to see your Bibles. I know I did this last week, and then I didn't acknowledge them up in the air. Let me see your Bibles. Who, who's got a Bible up in this joint? Who does not have a Bible but needs a Bible? That needs a Bible. Uh, Bo, there's a stack of Bibles over there. Yeah, there you go. Hand, hand the Bible off. Who else needs just a, one that they can follow along? And I got, I got multiple Bibles. There we go. Look at that. Oh, Joel, you want one too? Oh, oh he's got it on his phone. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. Um, all right. I love seeing the Bibles. Uh, John chapter 6. Turn there. If you're in John chapter 6, let me know by saying holla. If you're not there yet, let me know by saying hold up. Hold up. Okay, we got a few more hold ups and hollas. And so I'm going to give you guys... Uh, grace. Yeah, grace and seven <laughs> seconds. So uh, seven, six... Five, four, three, two. When I get down to one, I'm just going to pick up reading and you can just catch up with me. Verse 41, John chapter 6, and it says this. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, therefore, and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can, no one, not when, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they uh, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father... No, not that any... I, guys, I underline so much in my Bible, I can't even read the words right now. This is awesome. Okay, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me will have everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of and will not die. I am the living bread 
which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore uh, quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, then you have uh, no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Dear God, we just pray uh, that as we spend these next few moments looking through your word, uh, God, that you would speak to us, uh, that we would be encouraged, we would be inspired, and God, that we would be challenged by what your word has to say. Uh, God, may we each grow uh, in our faith. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, by the word of God. So God, as we spend these next few moments just looking at your perfect word, uh, God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that none of these would be my words, uh, but God, you would speak through and that your perfect word would come through. Uh, God, anything that I have to say, God, may have fallen deaf ears and may not even be able to get it out of my mouth. Uh, God, but that your perfect word rings true. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, so we have a few verses, um, kind of like we did last week. You guys remember last week, there were like a few key verses that we picked out and we made our points about those verses. Um, we're going to kind of do that again this week. I don't have slides, because today was crazy and I've been sick. Um, and so... Um, you're just going to have to bear with me, okay? But the first point is uh, found in verse uh, 41. Uh, and this is a bonus point. This isn't like point number one of the sermon. I always start with a bonus point. If you might notice that about me. I always start with a bonus point. Uh, it says, the Jews complained. Um, first point is, don't complain. Uh, complaining, uh, Jesus always has an answer for a complaint. Uh, and it has to do with, stop complaining. Don't murmur amongst yourself. Um, but here is the answer. All right, because here's the thing, guys. God's Word has the answer for all of our problems, and uh, we need to look in God's Word uh, for those answers. Uh, no matter what you face in life, God has the answer given in His Word. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking from the craziest thing to the, like, you just stub your toenail, okay? Uh, God has the answer for everything in His Word. If you think I'm crazy, or if you think I'm wrong, uh, I challenge you, and I will give you—I uh, will give the person who can find something that I don't have an answer for, or that God—I mean, that God's word doesn't have an answer for—I will give someone a hundred dollars if they can. Uh, I'm being straight up serious. I will give you a one hundred dollar bill if you can find a question or a problem in life that God's word does not have an answer for, because I guarantee you has an answer for it. So that's your homework. I will legitimately give you a hundred dollar bill. But uh, that's your homework. You can come back and give it to me next week because um, you won't find it. So maybe I'll make your job easier for you. Uh, the next verse we're going to talk about, guys, is actually what we're really going to talk the most of the night about. Uh, it's our main point. I think it's our single point of the sermon. Uh, and this is where we're going to kind of get into uh, that take, take the preacher hat off, put the teacher hat on. Uh, and we're going to break down some theology um, and, and some things that have to do uh, with our faith as Christians, um, with our faith as believers. Uh, and this is uh, the verse, John chapter 6, verse 44. Does someone want to read John chapter 6, verse 44? Yes, Chico. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. All right, stop there, stop there. Read that first part again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me. Very good. Uh, this is um, a very true uh, situation uh, for humanity. It says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. So no one can come to Jesus uh, unless the Father draws him. Um, and this brings up uh, some questions. Uh, maybe you're hearing it and you're like, wait, 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 wait. wait. 
I'm a little bit confused because doesn't the Bible say anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? So uh, I do the calling, but this is just saying I can't do anything. And Jesus, uh, God does the drawing. And uh, this is uh, a argument and a verse that has been used um, in theology for uh, years, uh, centuries, uh, actually uh, millennia, to, 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 to be honest with you guys. This verse, John chapter 6, verse uh, 44 is the number one used verse uh, by a group of Christians uh, who would believe in what is called, uh, Bo's already putting his fist up because he knows what I'm going to say, uh, a group of Christians who have the soteriological, uh, big word, everyone say soteriological. soteriological. I'm going to break it down for you in a second. But they have the soteriological... Uh, I will not spell it. <laughs> uh, the soteriological uh, view that is called Calvinism. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you have heard of Calvinism before. Okay, I'm going to move this guitar. Can anyone see that light reflecting off the guitar? It's like burning my face right now. Uh, there we go. Okay, so raise your hand again now that I can see you. Uh, have you heard of Calvinism before? Okay, very, very cool. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Calvinism. Um, okay, you've heard of it. Now, how many of you guys know anything about Calvinism? You did at one point? That's good. Okay, uh, less than half the hands that went up initially um, actually know something about it. Uh, you guys think You guys think it's a good idea if you've heard about something to learn about something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, like, if you know a word, uh, you should probably understand what it means. So here you go, soteriology. Since I said it, I'm going to let you know what it means. Soteriology uh, is really the study of uh, salvation or, or, or how one is saved. Okay? Um, and there are multiple, multiple views, but the two that kind of overarch all of Christianity is that of the Calvinists and that of the Arminians. Calvinists, Arminians. Everyone say it with me. I like I like Ben here. Calvinists, Arminians. Calvinists, Arminians. Calvinists, Arminians. Okay, no, no. It turned into a fun song like Sesame Street. Um, but uh, this uh, and and it, 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 if you want, just like the pure. Bible study verse by verse, breaking down each verse. Uh, I'm sorry because we're changing that up tonight. Um, but this is something that gets talked about a lot in the church, uh, gets swept under the rug a lot in some churches. Uh, it, it's caused some pretty brutal arguments um, because one side thinks they're very much right. The other side thinks they're very much right. They like to argue with each other. I don't know why they like to argue with each other, but they do. And so we're going to break down what the Bible says um, because uh, the Bible actually has a lot to say. Um, Like I said, it's got an answer for everything. So we're going to talk tonight. The title was He Who Believes, but you can write down in your notes. This is going to be like the big headline. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Okay, um, so bear with me. We're gonna like I'm gonna just download like dumpster truck dump on you uh, a lot of information. Um, so here's the history um, that predates these two men. And when I say these two men, I have to uh, state the obvious, but it might not have been obvious, so I won't state the obvious. I'll state the fact. Uh, Calvinism and Arminianism uh, come from two different men. One. John Calvin. Which one do you think John Calvin's responsible for? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Calvinism and Jacobus Arminius. Yeah, Arminianism. Um, and so uh, these two guys, the actual like debate and the theology and everything actually starts a lot before them. Um, we're actually going to jump all the way back to 400 AD. So we're talking about like 300 and 40 years or so, uh, or 360 years or so after Jesus, okay? Uh, to a guy by the name of Plagius. Everyone say Plagius. Plagius. All right, yeah. So Plagius is a guy. Uh, he loves Jesus. He's a monk, and he's from Britain, okay? Uh, so he's a cool monk. He's from Britain. Everyone from Britain is cool. Uh, 
they like tea. I like tea too. And so uh, he decides he's going to go to the head of the church, uh, which is in Rome. So he travels, because this is the Roman Empire, uh, he travels from Britain to Rome, and when he gets to Rome, he's appalled by what he sees. Because the church has gotten so lackadaisical that kind of it's loosey-goosey, wing-wang. We love Jesus, but it's okay if you do that. It's okay if you do that. We're kind of okay. It sounds a lot like American Christianity. And it's like this, woohoo, we're chill. Like, let's, let's love everybody. It's all good. Jesus is still the answer. but let's. And he's like, guys, cut this out. This is crazy. This is crap. Like, what happened to the apostles' doctrine? And he like, this dude is like, come on. Let's get back to God's Word. And uh, that's always a good thing to do. Plagueis started as a great guy. Um, but uh, he didn't end in the greatest of guys. He, he didn't like go like Rambo and go kill the church. What he did was he started a group of Christianity um, because he hated sin so much, and he hated the church was accepting so much sin, what he ended up doing was he adopted a form of Christianity that taught, first and foremost, faith by, justi- by justification, uh, and, and your salvation came through doing good for the Lord and living sinless. Sounds great, right? But what it was, was that the works that you are doing are earning your salvation. So the debaucherous, lazy Roman Catholic of the time, who were just lackadaisical Christians, they weren't going to be Christians because they weren't doing the good works. You guys tracking? You guys starting to see, wait, that does not sound like the gospel. Okay. So yeah, he had the right idea to start with. He had a very hatred towards sin, but he uh, forced some non-biblical aspects into his uh, idea of Christianity. Uh, then we get, as, as history begins to progress, um, the Catholic Church gets really lackadaisical and really bad as the Middle Ages are going through. The Dark Ages have passed. Popes are sleeping with all these... I mean, things are just getting crazy. Uh, and we get to the 13th century, uh, and this Pelagianism uh, and the study and the, and the following of Augustine, uh, those things had kind of been... Uh, melded to a form, and we get this guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas. Has anyone ever heard of Thomas Aquinas? Yeah, Thomas Aquinas is a stud. If you ever read any of his writing, he's like a really, really cool dude. Um, and he said, "Okay, we have a problem here in the Catholic Church. We got people just going crazy, doing all these things. We had this guy named Plague just back in the day. He got a few things wrong. Uh, I think I've got them right, and this is going to fix the Catholic Church." Uh, and so he came up with three points. The first point, I'm going to read them to you in Latin, by the way, because I speak Latin. No, I don't. Uh, the first one is infuso gratiae. Yeah, because it's like, it's like I feel Italian right now, spaghetti. Uh, okay, uh, infusio gratiae is just, you ready for it? Infusion of grace. Ooh. Okay, so his first is um, the infusion of grace. Uh, the, and, and, and it's the theology that uh, when we were in our uh, sinful state, um, actually like when we are being conceived at some point, uh, God infuses grace into each human, um, but it is up to that human what he is going to do with the grace uh, in his life. Uh, so um, man is completely separated from God due to sin. But God infused <clears throat> grace because God loves man and he infuses grace so that as his man then grows up, he has his God-given free will to make the decision to follow Jesus. And that brings us to the second point, which is fide cheriate formula. I don't know formula. It just looks English when it says formula, but formula. Okay, uh, uh, which is just all the th- Brie was giving me the weirdest look. I'm sorry, Brie. Uh, 
all that actually means is faith by charity. Um, so, this faith by charity uh, takes a little bit of that Pelagian idea uh, that uh, if you do good works with the free will that has been restored, if you do these good works, the infused grace will then take form and you will be saved by God's grace, um, which then leads on uh, to his uh, third point, which is meritum de condigno, which uh, is condigned merit. And if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Thomas Aquinas bases uh, his theology off of this verse in James chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, so this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's probably a familiar verse to most of you, but it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Right? Grace you have been saved. You need that infused grace. Infusio gratiae. You have been infused with grace, and that grace is what saves you. Jump over to James chapter 2, uh, verse... I'm flipping through James. James chapter 2, verse 20 and 22, and it says this. Uh, there it says that, But do you want to know, O foolish man... Faith without works is dead. Verse 22, Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith is made perfect. So he says, hey, check this out. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. And what does our faith do? Our faith must work because faith without works is dead. So if you're not doing works, then you're not being faithful. You're not being saved. And so he said, you must do works to be saved. Now, we don't have time tonight to do a whole study on the book of James, but if you went to Hillside Christian Fellowship uh, about a few months ago, we went through the book of James, and we broke down what that means, uh, mm. the whole faith without works is dead. I think we're going to kind of touch it a little bit more, but I just want to like draw the line. Uh, guys, your works don't save you, okay? That's why we don't follow these doctrines of Thomas Aquinas. He's a great guy, uh, but his doctrines are a little bit off. Your works do not save you. Christ saved you. And out of the love for Christ, you will do works. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, I think we're going to break down a little bit more. Uh, A few more years later, a guy comes up on the scene by the name of Martin Luther. Anyone ever heard of Martin Luther before? Okay. Not the one who the new movie Selma came out about. That's Martin Luther King Jr. Um, We're talking about Martin Luther the German dude uh, who uh, was a theologian. He was actually a monk, um, and God did some cool things. Luther's a hero, okay? The man is a legitimate hero. He's a stud. He got a lot of things wrong, but let's be honest, I think we all did a lot of things wrong. Uh, he didn't think James should be in the Bible. He didn't think Hebrews should be in the Bible because uh, he really hated Jews. Um, but it, it's true, but he was German. It's kind of a German ancestry kind of thing. I'm just saying. But he got a lot right, okay? Um, sorry, Martin Luther. Okay. He believed... Uh, so, so Martin Luther condemned Thomas Aquinas's three points, okay? And he believed that man lacked the ability to do good works. Because of our depravity... We're going to cover that word in a lot more depth in just a few minutes. Uh, because of our sinful nature, we lack the ability to do good works. We don't have this infused grace. I don't even know what that means, and neither did Luther. But uh, uh, he says, you lack the ability to do good work. So, uh, Luther uh, goes on to say, well, since we're so sinful, we actually don't have any free will. And uh, so Luther tries to erase free will. Uh, and any of its ties to grace. Uh, and what he began to do when he did this, uh, and luckily he stayed the straight and narrow, and we're going to have good times with Luther up in heaven, I already know it. Um, but Luther walked a very fine line uh, between two forms of heresy as he was doing this. Uh, he, he came very close to an ancient form of heresy in the early church called Maniacanism, uh, which is uh, a dualistic uh, view of 
the cosmos, that there is a good and that there is a evil, but that they have their own deities, and that, um, I mean, it, it gets really crazy in some of the things. Uh, it was started by a guy by the name of, of Manny. If anyone's got a friend named Manny, it's probably not a heretic, it's just the ancient one. Um, but this dualistic idea was that uh, the, 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 the evil God uh, causes everyone to do evil, and the good God has to watch by, uh, but gets to uh, make sure some people uh, get saved from the evilness. But most people are just evil. Um, but, luckily, like I said, Luther didn't jump off on that side and just go crazy. He didn't jump off on the other side either like the Pelagians did. Uh, what he ended up doing was uh, he got a lot of things right. Uh, and one of the big things he got right uh, was salvation. Salvation is not by works. It is by grace. And as we sing the song so often here, by grace and grace alone, right? Um, and actually that song is pretty much littered with epic theology. Uh, and so every time we sing that song, it's like a theology lesson, so pay attention uh, when you sing the words of the song. Um, so now we're at this point where uh, Luther, and I didn't even tell Luther's actual like story, that's just a little bit in his theological uh, training or whatnot. Uh, Luther goes on to challenge the Catholic Church to the form that uh, he leaves the Catholic Church and he begins a form of Protestantism uh, that ends up becoming what is modern day Lutheranism, okay? But we're not going to cover any more of that. Luther's a cool dude. If you want to study Luther more, study him. He's a great guy. I really, really, really like Luther, okay? Uh, can I say it one more time? I really like Luther. He, he's, a, he's a brilliant, uh, brilliant man. Um, but now we're going to enter in a guy from Geneva, uh, a guy by the name of Jacobus Arminius. Uh, Jacobus Arminius is a... Um, Christian and he's a theologian and um, he says I'm going to really break down how salvation takes place and uh, we're going to actually like because at this time there's a group of Christians breaking off from the Catholic Church the Reformation is taking place they all are saying no you know what Aquinas you were a nice guy but you got it wrong and so we have to like understand what salvation really is um and so Jacobus Arminius uh, does a very good job in his teaching it, and then his followers write down uh, what, his, uh, what his understanding and what his teaching on salvation was. And they broke it down into five points. They're actually called the Five Articles of Remonstrance. Okay, the Five Articles of Remonstrance. The first one is this, conditional election. Conditional election. And this is what conditional election means. It means God chooses those whom he foresees who will follow him. God in his infinite wisdom and infinite power can see into the future and he sees, okay, Ryan Owings is going to decide to follow me so I choose him to be saved. Okay? huge to try and wrap our minds around because really god knew it and god chose it before it happened so god choosing him uh ryan will now follow christ because god chose him does that make sense okay so that's what conditional uh election is uh you are given the choice in your life to follow christ or to deny christ and God, knowing the end from the beginning, foresees those who are going to follow him and shows them for salvation. Does that make sense? Okay. That brings us to the next point, which is the point of unlimited atonement. Unlimited atonement. Christ died so that all would have the opportunity to follow, but God knows that not everyone will follow. But he still shed his blood for the lost of the world. Does that make sense? What the Bible says? Okay, good. Um, the third point is uh, total depravity. Each and every single one of us, because of Adam sitting in the garden, each and every single one of us, there is nothing good that we can do. Nothing. 
The book of Ephesians. We went through the book of Ephesians. We broke this down. We were screwed before Christ. Because we are completely separated from God. And there's nothing that we can do to earn favor with God because of sin. But God loves us. God draws us. And he's given us the choice. That's where that conditional election comes in. You know, what I'm hearing about this God, you know, it sounds good. I'm going to check it out. And as we begin to open ourselves up to his calling, to his drawing, the Holy Spirit says, hey, yeah, you should, you should pay a little more attention. And my depravity, my total depravity is like, all right, well, I'm being drawn. This is cool. Okay. And then we make the decision to follow Christ. And look at, boom, we see that conditional election. I, I decided to follow Christ. And then looking back, it's like, oh, wait, God, God chose me. Sweet. Okay. That brings us uh, to the next one uh, that has to do with grace. Um, and it is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not even pronounce it um, correctly, so I'm sorry. You can come copy my notes if you want afterwards. Uh, but it has to do with our grace. And it is the divine grace precedes the human decision. So people are like, with that, like the big problem with this conditional election is like, well, if God sees you're going to follow him, why does he have to choose you? Uh, it's because of this. The divine grace of God choosing precedes man's decision to follow. It existed prior to and without reference to anything that humans have done. God's choosing is his grace, and his grace is prior to any human um, existence. It allows man to engage God-given free will to choose Jesus or reject Jesus. God's grace, combined with his foreknowledge, combined with his conditional election, allows man to open up his free will, and that in his free will, he has the decision to either reject God or accept God. Everyone tracking? Okay, that brings us to the fifth point, which is conditional preservation and uh, conditional preservation uh, pretty much sums itself up Uh, the Bible says that we are preserved Uh, if we put our faith in Jesus uh, then we are saved but uh, the way Jacobus Arminius sees it is that's conditional Uh, you've got to follow Jesus if you want to be saved that's where that faith without works is dead Uh, you've got to now follow Jesus with what you got uh, because you can lose salvation by outright rejecting God. Whether that's in word, whether that's in action, deed, however. You can, according to Jacobus Arminius in the Arminian belief system, you can lose your salvation. The followers of Arminius found so many portions in Scripture where you are locked, stocked, and you are good. You are, per like, You are preserved. You aren't going anywhere. Your salvation is solid. So they said, yeah, we're preserved. But they found a a bunch of other verses that said, yeah, but be careful lest you fall away and fall into destruction. So they found just as many verses that said you could lose it. So they said, you know what? It's conditional. Which makes a lot of sense, right? Okay. Am am I over anyone's head right now? It's okay to raise your hand. Okay. So so y'all are tracking? Good. Okay. Uh, does this sound really familiar to a lot of us? Maybe not all the words, but the concepts? Okay. Um, this now is going to lead us into uh, the entrance of another man by the name of John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin's followers uh, realized, wait, our teacher John uh, taught us a different version of salvation than this, and uh, we like your five points, so we're going to write our own five points uh, to rebuttal your five points. And they wrote their five points, which were this. Uh, Man is totally deprived. Sound familiar? Yeah, Arminius used it as well. It means the same thing for Mr. Calvin. This is where they start arguing. The next one is unconditional election. They didn't get very creative in their way of arguing. They said, well, you believe in conditional election? We believe in unconditional election. Okay, this is what unconditional election means. Um, You have... Nothing you can do because you're totally deprived. 
Um, and God chooses those who are going to be saved, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you're chosen, then you're chosen. And you will be chosen whether you don't want to be chosen or not. Because God chose you. But if God didn't choose you, you can't do anything to get saved. And here's their thing with this. Um, because of your total depravity, if God didn't choose you, you don't care because you already hate God. Because that's what sin is. Sin hates God, okay? Uh, and we as sinful people, we, in our fleshliness, we hate God as well. And since we hate God, if we found out God didn't choose us, we wouldn't care because we already hate God. And that's how they justify this unconditional election. Either you're chosen or you're not. And they use the word predestination because it's used in Scripture. And so they say God uh, predestines some to be elect and some not to be. You all tracking with that? Okay. The next thing they believe, they believe in total depravity, unlimited election, but they believe in limited atonement. What limited atonement means is that Christ, when he died on the cross, his blood only covers the sins of those who were unconditionally elected. So Christ died only for those who were chosen. I got issues with that. What's that? Yeah, no, that's not right, and I got a lot of issues with that. Uh, the next point they have is irresistible grace, which is that um, if God has chosen you and he has given you grace, uh, it is impossible for you to resist Christ. <clears throat> which, I know for me, was the case. Uh, because when I received grace and I said, wow, Jesus, you're... There's nothing I can do that will ever change my mind. Like, his grace is irresistible to me. Um, and so, irresistible grace. That's pretty awesome. Um, is it scriptural? I don't know. But, yeah, it, it's in the Bible. So, yeah. the last point is the perseverance of the saints. Once you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, you are saved. Once saved, always saved. Uh, he who started a good work in you will see it through to the end. And he has lost not one whom he came to save. We read that last week. Um, and so um, that's what the Calvinists believe. Um, in Calvinism as a whole, uh, many Calvinists are what are called five-point Calvinists. They believe all five of those points. Um, I have a problem with five-point Calvinists. Um, not because of total depravity, because I believe in total depravity. Um, Unconditional election, I have my issues with it, but I can see where they're coming from. Irresistible grace, I'm, I'm a good example of irresistible grace. Like I, I'm not resisting it. As much as my sin wants me to, I want Jesus. Um, and uh, the perseverance of the saints, yeah, that's one I wrestle with with both of them. I actually don't know. Um, I just don't want to lose mine, and I don't think I'm going to, so I'm just going to keep persevering on. Um, but the one I got a lot of problem with uh, is the limited atonement, uh, because that's not found one place in Scripture. Uh, the only place they get limited atonement is why would God waste his time, why would God waste his blood if he only chose a certain amount? They base their theology off of another theology. They don't base their theology on that off God's word. Uh, and that is why a good majority of Calvinists are what are called four-point Calvinists because they dump the L because it's not scriptural. Um, and a lot of the prominent Calvinists, if you actually even knew who was a Calvinist <clears> or who wasn't, most Calvinists are four-point Calvinists. Okay, um, And I think uh, uh, there are very few who truly believe that Christ uh, died for only some uh, when the Bible says otherwise. Uh, I myself, um, I myself would call myself, um, if I were to hang out with Calvinists, I would say uh, I am a 3.5 point Calvinist. 3.5. Um, I agree 100% with total depravity. Um, in my own life, irresistible grace, yeah, sounds good. Um, 
unconditional election. I believe in conditional election, but I can understand. I can understand. I can understand and see unconditional election. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. What conditional election says this is what the Armenians believe that God chose those that He foresaw were going to follow Him. What unconditional election says. God predestined those who were going to follow him. When you actually look at those two, they say the exact same thing with different words. Now let me explain it again. The Arminian believe that God chooses those he foresees are going to follow him. Calvinists believe that God predestines those he knows are going to follow him. It, it's two different words, foreknowledge and predestination, that when they're talking theology, they like to make them sound different, but when they're used in Scripture, they're the same thing. Okay, God's foreknowledge can be explained by man as predestination. God's predestining can be explained by man as God foreknowing. Does that make sense? They're, they're really saying the same thing, but they like to argue and say they're saying something different. Because man's competitive. And we like to argue. Um, but when you actually understand uh, that Proverbs says, we can't understand God because his thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. Uh, who are we to try and understand how God predestines, how he foresees? We can't actually understand it and put it into words, so why try? Okay? <laughs> so there's my three, and my half one is the perseverance of the saints and conditional uh, preservation. I, I still have a hard time with both those. Uh, once saved, always saved. Uh, I want to believe that that's the case. Um, but then I have friends who I'm pretty sure were saved at a time who I know now if I was God, they definitely aren't saved. Um, and so losing salvation, can it happen? Has it happened? Yeah, it probably has. Uh, saving, once saved, always saved. Uh, I want to believe it. I really, really do. So I guess technically I really want to be a four-point Calvarminian uh, just because. Um, I really want to believe uh, in the perseverance of the saints, but at the same time, the Bible says a lot about losing our salvation. Um, I think in a lot of cases, people who lose their salvation uh, may have actually been self-deceived and actually were never saved at all. Um, that's easy to say looking back at it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Because what would have happened if they died while they thought they were saved? Maybe they were. I, I don't know. And so uh, I like to say, when it comes to that point, the one I have a little bit of question with, I like to say about this every time, I'm glad I'm not God because I'd make a terrible God. So I'm glad that God knows the answer. Um, uh, but... Uh, I am for sure, I am for sure a four and a half point Arminian, a three and a half point Calvinist. So I guess that makes me an eight point, an eight point Salvationist out of ten. Eight out of ten works for me. Um, it's eighty percent. It'll get you through college. Um, here's the thing, guys. Um, it really boils down to two things are true. Uh, the early church. Uh, was not Calvinist. The early church was not Arminian. The early church walked with Jesus and they followed what he taught. They didn't get all confused by all these wonderful, fanciful ideas. Um, and I think the early church believed this, and this is the second point here, uh, it would be uh, choose God and find out he chose you. Choose God, find out he chose you. Works for me. My whole life, I'm doing my thing. Yep, oh, you know what? Jesus, that looks good. I'm going to choose Jesus. And I choose Jesus, and when I choose Jesus, he tells me, hey, guess what? I chose you from the beginning of time. 
sweet. So I was all excited about making the choice. And then Jesus tells me he chose me. That sounds so much cooler than me choosing him. Right? Let's let's just think about the kids on the wall playing dodgeball. Um, and it's like, rather than them saying what team you're going to be on, it's like everyone wants to be on the popular kids team. It's got the biggest arm. He's a baseball player, super athletic. It's like, man, I want to be on his team, you know? And uh, But they don't choose the teams, and people just go, like, walk up. It's like, I choose to be on your team. And then he's like, you know what? I, I actually already chose you. He pulls out his roster. He's like, look, I put you on my team. I mean, that just makes you feel so much cooler. It's like, it's awesome to make the choice, but then to find out you were already chosen just makes it that much cooler, okay? Um, and so I think that's a pretty good leveler between the two. Um, I've always said this, and Chico, you were in youth group when we said this, but uh, um, I think there's a lot of scholarly Calvinists and a lot of scholarly Arminians uh, who are going to get to heaven and are going to be confused. And what I mean by that is they're going to get to heaven and they're going to be like, all right, Jesus, which one of us was right? It was the Calvinists, wasn't it? And the Arminian's going to be like, nah, Jesus, it was us, wasn't it? And he's going to be like, you guys both wasted a lot of time arguing with each other. And you guys could have been telling people about Jesus, but you were so much trying to figure out how we do things up here. Here's this other way that you didn't even think about, but it's in the Bible. It actually is the Bible. And uh, this is how you get saved. And, and all the people in heaven will be like, wow, that's cool. And uh, I think it's going to sound a lot like, uh, choose God and find out what he chose you. Sweet! All right. So that's all a little bonus lesson for you guys. Um, I will say this. <coughs> Because, because in uh, Calvinism <coughs> proper and Calvinism modern day, they like to pride themselves on um, when people say, yeah, I chose Jesus, it's awesome, I accepted Jesus. They like to say, no, you didn't, he chose you. And, and, and they like really like to, like Arminians don't like to like badger back at people when they say things, but Calvinists really like to badger back. Uh, I don't know why it is, I think it's in the way... Uh, the, I, actually, the history of Calvinism and Arminianism, um, and a lot of Calvinism uh, is aggressive. It doesn't have to be. Uh, I think it can coexist with Arminianism. Great. Uh, um, uh, and I just I want to let all y'all know because I'm not going to tell you what one to believe. I told you which one I believe. Uh, I I I'm pretty much an Arminian with a lot of Calvinist tendencies at times, but mostly an Arminian. Um, uh, and, and, and that's the side of the camp I'm going to stay on. Um, and I'm going to let you guys choose on your own, uh, because I believe you have free will, so you can choose. Um, but uh, <coughs> this, <coughs> excuse me, this might uh, help a little bit, because uh, like I said, Calvinists really like to say, uh, no, you did not choose. Uh, Two of Calvinist's great, or Calvinism's greatest heroes are a guy by the name of George Whitfield. Uh, amazing, amazing <coughs> pastor. He was like Charles Wesley and John Wesley's best friend. And they started the Methodist Church and did crazy things back in the 1700s and like led thousands upon thousands of people to Christ. Uh, if you don't know about George Whitfield, look him up, the dude, the hero. And he was a hardcore Calvinist. Um, but when he would do all of his rallies... He would always close them with, ladies and gentlemen, tonight is the night to choose to follow Christ. Hardcore Calvinist, but when it came to decision time, he said, choose Christ now. There's no time like the present. Um, one of Calvinism's other uh, uber heroes, and I think he's just an uber hero of Christianity in general, is a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Anyone ever heard of Spurgeon before? Yeah, Spurgeon, uh, he, he's a wizard, he's a stud. I like Spurgeon a lot. Uh, and Spurgeon was a hardcore Calvinist as well. Um, but Spurgeon also would say, guys, <coughs> probably coughed too, he, he smoked and drank a lot of whiskey. But uh, <laughs> he did, he did. Uh, but uh, uh, he would say, uh, guys, there's no time like the present. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Uh, there's no time like the present choose to follow Christ.
And so, uh, to all the Calvinists <coughs> who say, you didn't choose, God chose you. Yeah, he did. And we, we understand that. That's great. Uh, but we get to choose to follow Christ and find out he chose us. And uh, so that's, that's my two cents on Calvinism and Arminianism. They're both probably wrong. Just, I mean, choose Christ, find out he chose you. It's a great way to do things. Um, that's the first point of the sermon. Um, second point. I'm not joking, actually. Uh, verse 47. Verse 47 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me will have everlasting life. This is what it all ties back down to. Whether you decide to choose Christ, whether you didn't have a choice, but you did because he chose you, um, there is an action that each one of us have to take. Because we have to believe. And it says, he who believes. That is you doing the believing. That's not God doing the believing for you. That's you doing the action of believing. It is a verb to believe. You who believe, or he who believes in me, has everlasting life. You will have salvation if you believe in Jesus. So the bring home of all that is, guys, believe in Jesus. And I know everyone in the room, and I know you've all made the decision to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus. So props to you guys, because you're saved. And now, yeah, we need to say it to other people. So go and tell people there is no time like the present to believe in Jesus. Believe, believe, believe. It's an action. Next point. Verse 54. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. I'll rise him up in the last day. Which is a little bonus point. Uh, it doesn't actually have to be a point of the sermon. This is referring uh, to what was going to take place in just a few short months from this point uh, when Jesus was going to have the Last Supper. And Paul breaks down for us what's going on uh, in 1 Corinthians. And uh, it is called uh, by contemporary Christianity today, uh, communion. Uh, the technical term for it is uh, the Eucharist. Uh, and it is where we remember uh, what Christ did for us, the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah, Eucharist. I think it's E-U-R. Uh, no, E-U-C-R. I don't know. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. It's like E-U Christ, right? Yeah, something like that. Sorry, guys, I'm not a thesaurus up here. I just know a lot of words. Uh, I can't actually spell them for you. Um but yeah, and, and, and so uh, we're told that as often as we do that, do that in remembrance of what Christ did for us. Um, and so I want to encourage you guys, remember what Christ has done for us. Remember what Christ has done for you. And remember, he who believes in Christ will have everlasting life. And if you believe that, you're saved. You're saved. And you can go tell people, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What the Bible says doesn't say anything contrary to that. So take it and run with it. So that's all I got for you guys tonight. Uh, sorry it's not verse by verse, but I think it's important. I think it's good. Uh, so we're going to rock and roll with that. Sound good? Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I have a few.